We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back, everyone, post-Thanksgiving, uh, episode three of the Queen City Hoops podcast. Uh, just want to welcome everybody back in. Hope you all had a very uh, uh, blessed Thanksgiving with family, friends, uh, ate a lot of turkey and everything else that is served. Uh, maybe drank a, lot, a, a little, uh, maybe a lot. Some people maybe drank a lot and, and, and got some good re- relaxation in. Um, so we're back. Again, this is episode three of the Queen City Hoops podcast, and so let's uh, let's jump in. Well, first, Richie, let, let's recap our Thanksgivings. Um, I let's see. I quote unquote played at a, an, an away game. So what I mean by that is I was at my future in laws for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, but all was well. Uh, good spread. Good people. Uh, I, I thought there was good football games on Thanksgiving, which kind of surprised me. Uh, it's a lot of ML, NFL this season. So relaxed. Uh, got two hours of sleep that day after eating two meals in the span of about four hours. So all was good. Uh, I'd say my f- – I'm trying to think. What was my favorite food that I had this Thanksgiving? If you've never had smoked turkey, I- I'm never going back. I mean that that when you taste smoked turkey compared to cooking a turkey in the oven or even a fried turkey, which I used to love fried turkey, still do. But I had smoked turkey this year. Holy moly. That was really good. Um, so I'll be doing that in my future Thanksgivings with my family. Richie, tell us a little bit about yours. Yeah, I mean, I, I, had, I went to my in-laws as well, so I had I had two meals back-to-back, one at about one, one at about four. Uh, it was a lot of food, and we didn't want to offend anyone, so we definitely had to eat at both places. Um, as, far <laughs> as, as far as my favorite food, it's actually uh, one that I actually didn't like as a kid. Uh, stuffing, dressing, whatever you want to call it, um, it didn't look appetizing when I was a kid, but I tried it, and I've tried it for like the past several Thanksgivings, and I just love it. I don't know if you ever have stuffing dressing. I know they kind of use those terms interchangeably, but yeah. So, so yes. While you're on that, my mom. Well, two things. The first thing you said was that you gotta eat. You feel bad if you don't eat when you gotta go to more than one place. So that's the first thing. My mom always made this this oyster stuffing when I was younger, um, and. Even when I was a kid, you know, I felt bad if I didn't eat something that mom had made because she spent all week, you know, prepping for all this worst thing, one of the top five worst things I've ever put in my mouth, oyster stuffing. So the fact that it, it was your favorite, um, yeah, surprised me a little bit, but hey, 
you know, we all learn to, to transition and like new things. But yeah, you reminded me immediately about oyster stuffing, and I have now all of a sudden lost my appetite. But I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, yeah, I mean, I we ours is like a sausage stuffing, so it, it you know with, oh. the, with the breadcrumbs and the onions and uh, the spices and all that stuff. But yeah, with with sausage, so I it it doesn't look appetizing to me. But ever since I ever since I've tried it, I've loved it, and I always have you know loads and loads of uh, stuffing on my plate. So other than that, yeah, two. Two back-to-back uh, dinners uh, definitely was full. I actually did not watch a lot of football um, for whatever reason. We just kind of hung out, played board games and things like that. Very good. Um, okay, so we have a lot to unpack here tonight, Richie. Uh, a lot of Hornets basketball since the last time we were on uh, talking to each other about the Hornets. So let's just kind of jump right in with trying to break down uh, some of these games since we have been gone um, I guess the first topic we should really start on is San Antonio, New York. I see San Antonio win last Wednesday. Hornets get Thursday off of the rest of the league for Thanksgiving. And then New York Friday. Both of these games felt similar in the fact that they were heartbreaking losses. You know, came down to the wire. Felt like the Hornets had a chance to win both. Probably should have won both, um, but weren't able to pull either out. So let's start with San Antonio. I thought it was a super competitive game. I thought, you know, just looking at my notes here, probably one of the funnest games in the NBA so far this season. Um, and, you know, the Hornets were just really outclassed, I think, in the end by a team um, and really a player in Kawhi Leonard that had more offensive options and uh, probably played a, uh, just a little bit better of a system. Uh, you got to respect Coach Pop's system more than any other league. I think they were just outclassed in the end. So what, what did you see there against San Antonio, and how much did that loss hurt? Oh, it definitely hurt. I mean, it. I guess it felt better because it was San Antonio, and it wasn't like a lower-tier team. Um, so we knew that we were, we were going to be in for a very competitive game. It was going to take a lot for us to win the game. Uh, but I thought we played well uh, in most aspects. I think in the beginning, uh, we had great ball movement in the first half, knocked down a lot of shots. I think that we had 20 assists in the first half, which was great. Um, just just very efficient on offense. Um, we did have some turnovers here and there. You know, with San Antonio's length, they're, you know, they're, they're bound to turn, uh, turn the ball over on teams and stuff like that. But towards the end, uh, that's when we really got sloppy, when it was more of the unforced turnovers on our end, not necessarily anything that San Antonio was doing, just being sloppy, especially in the early uh, fourth quarter, killed our momentum. Um, and like you said, Kawhi Leonard uh, was a beast. MKG tried his hardest. He was fighting through screens. It's not like he was far away from Kawhi. He was definitely an arm's distance. Uh, he competed, he played well, but if you looked at the stat line, you would you would probably assume that MKG didn't play well in defense, but he did. I think he played well. Um, and then just down the stretch, slop, sloppy things, the bad the bad turnover inbounds kind of killed us in the end. Yeah, no, and that was one of the notes I had down, and so since you mentioned it, uh, you turn it over, and what was it, the last two sideline out-of-bounds plays, right? The last two? Or was it the I last three? So. Yeah, it was the last yeah, I think it was the it was definitely the last two. That is the part that's inexcusable. Okay, I don't care who you're playing. Um, and, and you look at Clifford and you say, "What are you thinking there? You know, are we just running the same thing we always run on the sideline out of bounds?" And I'd have to go back and watch them. But that's inexcusable. E- either way, can't turn the ball over uh, two times in a row out of timeouts in those situations. You just can't do it. 
Yeah, and so the other uh, thing I noted about this game, I think just Marvin Williams and how good of a job defensively he did on the Marcus Aldridge. I thought that really helped the Hornets set the tempo early, uh, especially on the defensive end, which they weren't able to to keep up really throughout the, the course of four quarters. But um, from an energy standpoint, from an effort standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, I thought he was Marvin was a big uh, reason for that early and how good of a job he did fighting on Marcus Aldridge um, on the block. All right, so let's move on um, to the New York game the very next night, a game that went into overtime, a game that saw the Hornets with a comfortable lead in the second half and really in control of the game, uh, and then really just couldn't hold Porzingis and Carmelo uh, off of the stat sheet offensively. Ended up dropping that one as well in, in another heartbreaking way. Rich, any notes you had from this game? And this is where Marvin injured his knee, so like we, we talked about before, um, he's definitely going to be reevaluated soon. But um, when he went out, things kind of took a downward turn. I know that uh, there were some technicals on both teams. Um, I, I think there was an offensive goaltending on Hernan Gomez, and the Knicks got a technical. And from that point on, I felt the energy kind of pick up in that third quarter because we were up double digits in the third quarter. From that point, it just seemed the energy on the Knicks side picked up. They made their comeback. They tied it up. They even took the lead, I think, at some point in the third. And it just kind of went back and forth at the end. And very similar to the to the Spurs game in which, you know, MKG played great defense, uh, but Mello was hitting his shots. You know, he's, he's a great scorer on the post and outside as well. Um, so things like that, you just can't really guard. You can't defend. And then one other thing that I took a note of was offensive rebounds. We talked about this last podcast. New York Knicks are top five, I believe, in offensive rebounds, or, or up mm-hmm. there in that in that range. And uh, Noah and Porzingis were definitely um, animals on the offensive board. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all uh, very notable. You know, like you said, Marvin goes out this game. He is hurt. We'll be evaluated here very soon to see if we get him back uh, soon. And, and considering Frank's inconsistent play, which we've already talked about on the podcast, Richie, uh, it would be good to have Marvin back. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the obvious takeaways here are Carmelo. I mean, he has his easily his best game of the season. He scores 35 points. He's 14 of 25 from the floor. I don't know what it is about Carmelo going up against MKG in, in Madison Square Garden, but he he goes off. Uh, and, you know, it's this thing you were talking about a minute ago where MKG gives effort, and he defends at a, an extremely high level. It is, it is pretty much as high of a level as any wing defender can, uh, contesting shots, getting his hand in, in Carmelo's face. But when Melo gets in that zone, there's there's not really that much anyone can do. And so I know it's frustrating to watch MKG go through that, and you think, well, what's he not doing right? Well, it's not that he's not doing anything right. It's just how good Carmelo can be. Uh, he's one of the best ISO players the game has ever seen. He gets in that zone that night. Um, you know, missed free throws. I think this is kind of... It was a storyline uh, in the past few games for the Hornets, especially during their four-game losing streak. And in this game, they're seven, 17 for 27 from the free throw line. That's 63%. Not good. Getting to the line way more than, uh, way more than their opponent, which they doubled up the Knicks in this game. But that loses you ball games. And as we see in a game like this, 113-111 in overtime, I think I circled the free throw discrepancy, and I say, you know, the Hornets can't miss 10 free throws. I mean, 
they're going to be competitive in just about any game they play in. Um, they hang their hat on getting to the foul line, um, spreading the floor, dribble penetration kick. They can't take advantage of the freebies. They're going to be in trouble. So that's that's really one of the things that I wanted to touch on. Kimball was great in the second half, I thought, really uh, instrumental in, in – in the Hornets uh, making some separation there in the second half. And I thought Marco Bellinelli, I mean, just continues to be great off the bench. He was again in this game, just huge off the bench, seven of 11 from the field, five of six from downtown. And he's currently in the top seven in the NBA in three point shooting as of today, Wednesday uh, scores 19 points. So there's a few notes I have from that game. All right. Um, let's keep it rolling here. So the next night, they come back to Charlotte against the Knicks. It's one of those home-and-home, back-to-back rare sequences here in the NBA. And the Hornets get the better part of the Knicks in this one. So, Richie, I'm going to let you take this entire one. I currently uh, am engaged, got engaged back in June. We had an engagement party on Saturday night, so I didn't see one second of this game. I have not had a chance to go back and look at it. I'm at my engagement party on my phone trying to look at the score. Uh, Probably not a great look for me. Especially when people say, "What are you doing on your phone?" Like my fiance, I'm not checking the Hornets game. Don't worry. <laughs> so I didn't see I didn't see one second of this game. Um, tell us what happened. Yeah, I was actually at this game, so I don't know if I had much of a better view. I mean, sometimes when you're in the, <laughs> in the arena, you kind of get lost in all the things um, compared to watching it on TV. Yeah, I mean, I was at the game probably more for the T-shirt than more than anything. But um, Lamb dressed and played this game. Uh, he was very strong in the first quarter. He started in in place of Batum, who was uh, kind of a last-second scratch to the, the starting lineup. Um, he got injured on the eye, I think, in the previous game. And he had a near double-double in the first quarter. He was racking up the boards. Um, I mean, some of them were long rebounds that kind of found found him more than anything. But uh, just him being aggressive on the boards uh, is, is something great. And we saw that again uh, recently against, uh, I think, Detroit as well. Um, we had a strong, strong first quarter. Sluggish second quarter with the, with the bench unit. Um, I don't know if you saw the highlights, but Session was bothered like crazy by Jennings in the backcourt. Um, Jennings would put on this one-man press, which I thought was kind of comical, but he actually stole the ball uh, multiple times from Jennings, le- leading to you know easy baskets. So every time he stole the ball, he got more confidence, and, and, and he kept on doing it in the second quarter. It was kind of painful to watch Sessions try to bring up bring up the ball. I was hoping they would just give it to Bellinelli um, and force Jennings away away from the ball. And then in the fourth quarter, uh, we've talked about this person a lot. Uh, Frank Kaminsky was a very, very clutch, clutch player there. Um, and he kind of led us to victory uh, with his inside out game. Okay. Yeah. So a big win for the Hornets coming back. Um, that's interesting about Jennings. Not surprising though. Always had a unique game, kind of a junkyard dog. Um, you know, New York City style of basketball, really, from Brandon Jennings. He's been good for the Knicks in spots this year. Um, but a big win for the Hornets coming back. Um, needed it, stopped the bleeding for, I guess, what would have been then. Uh, that that would have been the four-game losing streak, right? That would have broken it. Um, so that, that was a big win for the Hornets there. Okay, so let's move, let's move to Memphis, which was on Monday night. Uh, and really one of the more dominant defensive performances that we've seen um, from Charlotte this season. They hold the Grizzlies to 40.5% from the floor, uh, you know, dominate them on the glass. Um, don't let the Grizz get to the foul line very much. Force 12 turnovers against a Grizz team that really doesn't turn the ball over ever. 
and, and, you know, I thought the Hornets were very balanced. Uh, I thought Jeremy Lamb's definitely his best game of the season since getting back. Um, he scored 21 points, 7-11 uh, from the floor, hit two threes. How many rebounds? Uh, Let's see. In that game, well, I don't know. Maybe you're you're right. I guess he did hit 18 and 17 against the Knicks, right? Yeah. So he had nine rebounds against the Grizzlies. So maybe I shouldn't say it was his best game of the season. But I mean, golly, there's two back-to-back games where you're 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 looking, you're watching Lamb play, you're looking at the box score, and you're thinking, wow, this guy compared with with Bellinelli, uh, the the you know the the production we're getting from Hawes, you know the sneaky bench unit the Hornets have, you think Lamb is that shot in the arm that's finally going to get the bench over the top, uh, and, and here we have what what happened last night, which we'll cover here shortly. Uh, but he was awesome that night. You know, I thought Kimball was very efficient, didn't take a lot of shots, but really steadied the ship for the Hornets all night long. But I just thought a dominant performance, and probably ran into a Grizzlies team that had one of those nights like Charlotte did last night. And, and then Mike Conley goes down. Mm-hmm. They lose him for the remainder of the game. And they were just really weren't ever the same. Um, Memphis is still one of those teams. It's like their playoff roster they had last year. It's like a fake team. You know, they still just run out guys off the bench and, and start guys uh, like Troy Williams. Why is Troy Williams starting for any team in the NBA? <laughs> Especially a team that's 11-6 and six coming in against the Hornets. Uh, Jermichael Green, I get it with him. He's, he's turned into a pretty nice player, a versatile guy. But the Grizzlies just keep doing this stuff where they have these random players. They roster Troy Daniels now, ex, ex-Hornet, um, hero of the, the late-night Sacramento, miracle in Sacramento, right. uh, or miracle after midnight, I should say. But they just have so many random players year after year on the roster. Kind of has a Spurs and, feel to it. It does. You know, I understand what they're trying to do, but, you know, I just anytime Troy Williams is, you know, who I think was undrafted last year, like, why is that guy starting? But so anyways, I don't want to get on my rant about it. Sometimes I just don't get what what goes on in Memphis and some of the roster decisions. But uh, the Hornets get a good win. What would you note here? Um, Strong start from definitely from Lamb and Kaminsky. Um Starting to notice a trend with Cody, uh, foul trouble. He picks up a lot of fouls early, um, and he has to sit out a good portion of the first half because of that. Um, I don't know if it's him in bad position, if he's overly aggressive, what it what it may be. As always, MKG is aggressive on defense, um, bringing that energy. Just just a pest, really, when it comes down to it. And then Conley, like you said, picks up that inj- injury in the third quarter, and he actually was picking up his play in the third quarter, kind of sparking a little bit of uh, fire uh, behind Memphis, uh, but when he got injured, uh, it kind of was all downhill from there. And then Kemba, like you said, he didn't really start the greatest, but he had some timely threes towards the end, back-to-back threes when Memphis started to make a run. Um, and I, I just love how how well he's shooting the ball. Yeah, I want to go back to what you said a minute ago about Cody Zeller, and I'm really glad you said this because I wanted to get to this at some point during the podcast. Cody Zeller getting in early foul trouble. I I don't quite understand it either. You know, he's been a guy who's he has to be physical because he's not always, but typically he's a little overmatched by opposing centers in this league. But he's also done a really nice job since I would say he really turned that corner for the Hornets this year, second half of last year, at, at, at tracing the ball, guarding without fouling, you know, contesting shots. He's not ever going to be a shot blocker. But yeah, I, I don't know really what it is, and I would have to really watch it more. But this cannot be this cannot be an issue for the Hornets. Cody Zeller getting in early foul trouble. It throw number one, it throws the offensive 
uh, flow way off because the Hornets, it feels like they're a different team when he's not on the floor because he's one of the best screeners. I think he's one of the most underrated screeners in the league. He's probably the best screener that the Hornets have. Um, you know, and then on top of that, the Hornets don't have a lot of options at center off the bench. I know that Hawes has done a nice job off the bench, and I know that Roy Hebert is 7-2, um, but they just don't compare to what Zeller brings to the floor for Charlotte on the offensive and defensive end and his basketball IQ. Um, so this cannot become an issue for Charlotte, and I think it plays a role in some of their struggles here recently. They can't get into that early early game flow because Zeller's picking up two fouls in the first five minutes, and he's got to go sit for the better part of the second half. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, anything else on this Memphis game uh, that we need to note? I think I think we covered it all. All right, so last night, and, and I don't really want to get into going through stats and you know all this stuff. Uh, I think you throw that one out, but what I do want to get into is talk a little bit about you know, the scheduling uh, conflict here. So last night was the fourth game for the Hornets in five nights. Uh, it was the second of a back-to-back after playing in Memphis on Monday night. So they traveled back from Memphis. Now, again, this is our fourth game in five nights. Last night, on the heels of a back-to-back coming back from Memphis, you lose an hour of sleep. I have a few thoughts on this, but let's start with you, Richie. Do, I mean, I think you just throw this one out from for the Hornets, regardless of if you think it has something to do with the schedule or not. But I'll kind of let you start because it seems to be a hot topic here in the past 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are talking about the the four game and five nights. And the NBA has tried to limit it. They have done it every single year. Um, I think the average of four games and five nights is is just under one per team. Um, Hornets happen to be the one of the few, I mean, one of the teams that has a four game and five nights. Some Some don't. Um, I feel like we always get the short end of the stick when it comes to like back-to-backs and, and things like that. So yeah, I don't really put much stock into the loss just based on um, what happened. Traveling, you know, back across time zones, getting back late at night or in the early morning. And you're playing two physical teams, Memphis and Detroit. Um, so the energy had to be there. Uh, but clearly, the lack of sleep and exhaustion and exertion that, that, that it takes on a, on a player clearly showed uh, when we took the court uh, last night against Detroit. Yeah, so for the people that haven't seen it yet, if you well, if you just go to Twitter and you hashtag schedule alert, um, Tom Habistro's Twitter handle will probably pop up at some point in time there. But anyways, before the season, ESPN did a study on this, and basically they ranked the Hornets. Okay, so let, let, me, let me try to explain this because it's kind of a, <laughs> a, 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 a lot to, to talk about here or try to get out. Um, they ranked – the Hornets beating the Pistons at home last night before the season started over every single other game on the NBA schedule for every team this entire year. ESPN, before the season started, ranked this the hardest game in the entire association on the schedule to win. And I'm talking about the Hornets over the Pistons. So they ranked it the toughest for the Hornets before the season started. So clearly they're on to something. And I get – all right. I get the reasoning like, yes, it's hard to play four games in five nights. We, we should not have to really discuss that too much. And it's hard to lose an hour uh, on, on the heels of a back-to-back, come home, play a game, and really have 100% energy. I, I get all that. But I guess what bothers me is kind of like – I kind of take Clifford's back on this one. He comes out after the Memphis game on Monday night and basically says to the media, okay, so – 
ESPN or the media, national media, whatever, they give us no chance to win this game. And basically what he says is it's only a thing that we're playing for the fourth time in, in five nights and on the heels of back-to-back and lose an hour of sleep. All that stuff is only a thing if we make it a thing. And I agree with him. Like, it, like I don't know. I guess that like it's not fa- – I don't know why the Hornets always come You know, I – don't, I don't know why they always get the short end of the stick when it comes to the schedule. But like – that's the way it is, and I don't know if the guys in the locker room are are pouting or, or crying or saying I I just can't get up to play. I, you know I don't know what's going on in there, but I agree with Clifford. Like, yes, he's just trying to motivate his guys through the media. Like, I get that, and I think most people do. But if I'm a player, like that's an opportunity for me to push myself farther, right? And to and, and to know we just won a huge road game. I know we're all exhausted, but here's a game we should win at home tomorrow night. Mind you, Andre Drummond goes out. He only plays 13 minutes last night and goes out after he gets ejected, and the Hornets still can't. So I'm a little bit frustrated, I guess, and I'm sure you can you can sense that, Richie. I get that they're tired, and I'm not trying to put myself in anybody's shoes, but at the same time, I agree with Coach. Like it, It's only a thing if you make it a thing, and for the Hornets to lose like they did last night – I think it's inexcusable. I still think it's inexcusable, regardless of all the other factors. Huh. I, thought, I didn't think you were going to take that route. I thought maybe you would uh, kind of... That's just the coach in me. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> no, I, mean, it is. I, I, I agree in the sense that you can't make it a thing, because if you do, it's going to be on your mind, and you're just going to let that affect your play. Uh, but I don't think you can take away the fact that it is four games and five nights, that it has taken a toll on these players' bodies. Um, that is definitely going to have an effect, especially when you're playing a team like Detroit, who's a, who's a physical defensive team. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I'm not trying to not make it a thing. It is a thing. I guess I would just say I would favor towards the, I would favor towards the, look, it's only a thing if you make a thing. It's only a thing if you pay attention to all these people talking about it. Outside of that, it's really just another game. And if you approach it that way, I think you've got a better chance of giving getting more out of yourself. So I am worried that the Hornets made it something, that, that maybe it, they made it more than it was. And you're right, it was something. Um, but you know what? Like, I don't know how the NBA schedule is. is you know, I don't know the process. It must of, be difficult. Uh, it, it's got to be difficult. I mean, somebody's going to get the short end of the stick. And, you know, that's kind of life too. So like, <laughs> I, I, I can't really say that, that I feel – offer for the Hornets. I just think they have to find a way to get themselves up to play that game. Um, so, and then the other thing I was going to say, you know, there's all this analytic stuff. Like I understand like we, we have all this stuff at our disposal now and, and here the schedule alert and this thing that ESPN comes out with at the beginning of the year. Of, okay. Well, the Hornets, so they hit it, right? They got it right. It doesn't mean that this is, this is all of a sudden some, you know, scientific fact, right? Like it still comes down to, you know, who wants to win the game more or who plays better or who has more energy. Uh, now, all those factors we talk about do play into to how that happens. But, you know, I don't want to get into this thing where we have all these analytics and we can now find all these problems uh, in all these different areas and all these things that need to be fixed. You know, that's so it's kind of my analytics rant, too. So anyways, now I'm going down to a rabbit hole. Let's just move on. Um, we get through the scheduling thing a bit. The Hornets last night. Jeremy Lamb gets hurt. They're calling it a right knee contusion right now. We we don't know exactly what that means. Um, Queen City Hoops is trying to dig some information on that and might have something uh, for for some folks here soon. But 
the Hornets were quiet about it today, which is probably not a great sign, but we will wait to see. What does this mean if he does have to miss more extended time, Richie? I mean, it definitely um, is not good. It limits our, our bench uh, flexibility. I wouldn't say that we were playing, you know, amazing with them and, and poorly without him because with Jeremy Lamb, I know it's early in the season, we were four and three. Without Jeremy Lamb, we've been six and five. So very similar records um, percentage-wise. It's definitely better with Lamb, but not by much. It just means that our bench shortens a little bit. Uh, Bellinelli is going to have to, you know, step up like he has in, in most games. I mean, he has had those nights where he's not shot the ball too well. So just other people are going to have to step up from the bench. And it's going to suck if, he, if he's out an extended period of time. Uh, I definitely have enjoyed him, you know, watching him play for the past several games. So I, I guess that's really just what it comes down to. If he's out for an extended period of time, someone else is going to have to step up. And with our inconsistent, you know, our bench, you just never know what, what's, what, what we're going to get out of them. So I just like having the options. And without him, it's just one less option on the bench. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's really frustrating. It feels like, you know, one step forward, two steps backward right now uh, for Jeremy Lamb. And, you know, you, you obviously hope this isn't something serious um, because clearly, you know, even Coach Clifford, which is, uh, you know, their two relate, you know, those that relationship has been really the nemesis of his inconsistent playing time. And, you know, and that's really what's been hold, holding him back in Charlotte in general. And now you have these injury issues. So it just feels like, you know, he can't get out of his own way right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that it puts more pressure on a guy like Bellinelli, who's been awesome this season. You know, but I, you know, I, the, the more and more he you know, continues to make shots and continues to really hurt opposing teams' second units, you know, the scouting report's going to get out on him. And, you know, outside of Bellinelli coming off screens and just being a really savvy high IQ player and obviously being able to make shots, you know, once the scouting reports, you know, out on him and teams are defending him coming off screens differently and trapping him when he catches the ball and these kind of things, you know, the Hornets don't have a whole lot of options, scoring options in that second unit, especially when you can all but ignore Ramon Sessions off the ball. So, you know, then you get into the conversation of, well, you know, is, does this mean like a guy like Travion Graham could, could have an opportunity to step off off the bench? You know, does it mean Brian Roberts plays with Ramon, you know, in desperate situations? You know, I, I don't know. It all depends on what kind of time that Lamb misses. But here's what we do know. It, it would not be good at all for the Hornets um, as not only the coaching staff, not only the front office, not only the fans, you know, want this guy to succeed. Uh, Jeremy Lamb uh, with the contract extension that he got uh, before last year. So, We'll hold our breath to see what the prognosis is, but uh, would not be good for the Hornets if he does miss extended time. So the Hornets in the past seven games, and we're going to dive into this a little bit, have had some in, – in their last seven games have been two and five. They've had – I think part of that, most of it probably, is related to defensive struggles. They have not been good on the defensive end, which is very uncharacteristic. Um, w- would you agree, Richie, that that's probably – uh, been the Hornets' biggest problem in this kind of, I'd say, you know, slight slump they've been in the last seven games. To an extent, I mean, I think that Kawhi Leonard going off and Melo going off, I don't think that was a result of bad defense or at least individual bad defense. Um, but we definitely have seen, you know, some ups and downs on the defensive end, and it definitely is a, is a factor. This is, you know, 
Charlotte is known as being a top five defense. I think currently we're maybe 10th in defensive rating. Uh, don't know off the top of my head, but uh, it's definitely a step down from what we're used to seeing. Yeah, so currently the Hornets, you know, they were fourth as early as, I believe it was fourth as early as last week. Right now they're ninth. Um, so just over 101 in a defensive rating. Over the past seven games for every team in the NBA, the Hornets come in with a rating of 100. And 6.1, which is good for 20th in the NBA. So kind of puts into perspective, you know, how much they have struggled on that end. And I I agree with you. I think, you know, you you talk about what Kawhi did. You know, you talk about what Carmelo did. You know, so there's not really, again, unless you're blitzing or, or doubling these guys when they catch it to just get it out of their hands and make somebody else make a play. I don't know that there's answers for those kind of players in isolation situations and one-on-one situations, but you know, I do think that I do think that the Hornets have lost focus on the defensive end. And I think it's very minor things. I mean, we talked about one of them early, you know, Cody Zeller going to the bench, you know, in these games with, with early foul trouble. I think the Hornets' ability or or, or uh, lack of ability to to guard without fouling, which they did really well early in the season, I think they've struggled with here lately. Um, you know, it's these little things, and all that really, to me, comes back, and I think that Coach Clifford would tell you, comes back to focus, you know, being committed on the defensive end every single time. I know that sounds cliche. I know you hear it from every – you know, single quote-unquote expert, you know, that talks about basketball. But it is true, and especially when you consider a Hornets team that really doesn't have a whole lot of collective great defenders. They have one great defender, Michael K. Gilchrist. You know, I, w- I would say outside of that, uh, there, there's a lot of average defenders, and, and quite frankly, most would consider below average defenders on this roster. So it is a focused factor every time down the floor. And I think the Hornets have lost that a little bit. So, they don't have a whole lot of practice time and rest time to kind of refocus and re-energize coming up, but they have to understand that that is their identity. I think they do, and I think until this changes, Richie, I think they're going to struggle to pull out games late. Um, so it's something to watch for the Hornets. They, they've definitely struggled in the last seven games. I mean, I would agree, and I, I think one thing, too, like our defense, like you said, is very team-structured. It's not individual-based. And we do a great job of, of kind of protecting the paint. I do wonder with that with that style, a lot of the off ball defenders, their focus is on the ball right. because they're trying to help those drives. And sometimes they lose their man in the process. And I, I always feel like these teams that don't shoot the ball too well end up shooting the ball great against us. Like Detroit for 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 whatever reason knocks down all these threes against us. Um, yeah, it's just things like that. Like off ball defenders. You want to see your man and the ball at the same time, but I feel like sometimes we just kind of get lost in that and just are just so focused on the ball and helping out. I don't know if it's overhelping or whatever you may call it, but uh, that could play a factor. I haven't really actually watched it too intently on the defensive end to see if that is the reason. Yeah, no, you and you make a really good point with that. I mean, I think I think one of the things I see with the Hornets this season, and and I think some of this has to do with Nick Batum. I mean. I don't think he is not a good guy at closing out. Um, so, so what I mean by closing out, so, so when the ball is penetrated, he's on the weak side. The ball's penetrated on the opposite side. Ball's kicked to his man. He's got to close out. You know, and, and it's not really surprising he's not good at this because he's tall, he's lanky, his feet are a little bit stuck to the floor. Um, not a little bit, they are. Um, and, and you know, and and so I don't think outside of MKG, this team is just not 
built around a whole lot of guys, even Marvin, you know, that, that close out and can contain the basketball. So what they're really focused on, all this leads to, they're trying to send the ball in one direction. And where the Hornets try to send the ball, and most teams in basketball will, is to the baseline because that's where you can get the trap. So, you know, sending it to the baseline is all good and well, but number one, in your mind, it, it tells you all I got to do is close out on this guy and take away the middle from him and send him to the baseline. That's fine. That's the right play. But the first problem is this. You're not closing out on the guy that can try to contain him and keep him in front. You're trying to send him a certain direction. And when you send him a certain direction, that's going to force another guy to come up and help. And now behind that action where the ball is, you got four on three. And so, you know, I I think that's part of the – I think that's the biggest problem to me when I watch the Hornets, you know, just from an organic standpoint, just watching the game, is that they're trying to send the ball in a certain direction, which is still forcing – a rotation and right. still leaving a man open on some, you know, part of the floor, and other teams are starting to make them pay. Whether that be an open three, whether that be making the ball, you know, move really quickly and attacking that second closeout when the Hornets are rotating. So, you know, to me, it looks like there needs to be more of a focus on containing the basketball and keeping it in front, and not so much worried about sending it a certain direction. Uh, you know, and trying to perfectly execute your defensive rotations, which I don't think I'm breaking news here. That's that doesn't happen very often. It's really hard to do, you know, to execute a scrambling defense to a T. So the easiest way to negate that is not have to rotate or at least limit the amount of times you have to rotate defensively. Um, so it's one of the things that I see. And, and I think it's something that we should keep an eye on because, Maybe the Hornets have just have to face the Anthony Davises, Carmelo Anthony's, and Kawhi Leonard's of the league here in you know the past seven games, or maybe you know other teams are trying to figure out uh, you know or have started to figure out a kink in the armor, uh, and the Hornets have to focus on other areas. So yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah, you're probably right. I think it probably is. So um, all right, so looking forward for the Hornets, uh, I think that they have some real opportunity. Here in front of them, Richie, I'm just going to run through the next five games. At home versus Dallas tomorrow night. At home versus Minnesota. At Dallas. At home again versus the Pistons in a game that shouldn't be hard to get up for for the Hornets. And then uh, at home against Orlando. I think the Hornets will be favored in all five of those. Of course, that could change depending on results. But seems like the Hornets have a real opportunity in front of them in these next five games. Yeah, and speaking of scheduling, I, I looked it up. Uh, right before this podcast, four or five—sorry, three, three out of five of those games, those teams are coming off a of back-to-back. It seems like we kind of have a off night, a game night, off night, game night for the next mm-hmm. couple of days. Uh, the Dallas game, uh, they're coming off a of back-to-back. The Minnesota game, they're coming off a of back-to-back. The home game against Detroit, they're coming off a of back-to-back. So, um, if we really want to see what kind of energy these teams have, um, they're going to be coming off a of back-to-back. We're going to be coming off rest, and this is a great opportunity. And I, I don't expect five wins, but maybe four out of five would be great. Um, you know, the Minnesota game always can be tough. Um, and then Detroit, definitely definitely revenge game for us there. They're coming off a of back-to-back. We'll have some rest. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's a good stat about how many teams will actually be coming off a back-to-back, um, you know, in these next five against the Hornets. You know, I wonder, and I, and I didn't see this today. Maybe you did. Maybe you can correct me here. I, I wonder if Clifford even held a shoot-around. Um today i don't think they practiced okay yeah and I, I think that's probably the smart thing to do i mean i think we clearly saw how exhausted they were last night but so 
a lot of opportunity for the Hornets in the next five games. And after these next five, four at home, one on the road, after these next five, the Hornets will go on the road for five straight. I think all Eastern Conference, but a five-game road trip. Uh, so really important five games coming up for the Hornets here uh, next, and they need to take advantage after the stinker last night. Yeah, all, all very winnable games here. Absolutely. Um, all right, so let's jump into uh, a piece the Charlotte Observer did. Uh, Scott Fowler went out, um, and in Australia he parlayed. So Scott Fowler, uh, one of the editors for the Charlotte Observer sports section, um, went out and I think parlayed this with the Panthers game in Oakland last this past Sunday. Got to interview Steph Curry, um, and, and there were some interesting tidbits in there. I, I don't know that any of it's you know real news, um, but but I think some of the quotes are interesting. I think one in particular, Scott Fowler, and that, that's really the only one I'm going to mention. Scott Fowler asked Steph Curry specifically, okay, free agency 2017. Um, you know, basically he said, would you rule out Charlotte? Or, or do you think that you'll, you know, you'll play in Charlotte? Whatever it was, maybe you have it right in front of you. And Steph Curry's quote unquote, I don't know. So not surprising on one hand, because that's just smart for him not to say, uh, no, I'm definitely not going to Charlotte. I'm definitely staying in Golden State because Steph Curry has no idea what can happen between now and, and that time free agency. But I think it's, I guess, noteworthy to just spend a few minutes talking about because obviously that gives all Hornets fans a chubby, I think, <laughs> just to think of the the prospects of Steph Curry in a Hornets jersey. Richie, your, your initial thoughts when you read that article. I guess I really don't know what to think of it. I mean, it like you said, it really wasn't real news, uh, groundbreaking stuff there. I would love for Curry to come home to Charlotte. Uh, his quote, I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends on how he said it. Um, I guess it, it, it's tough to see because, like, in one hand, a lot of people say that, you know, if he keeps winning in Golden State, he's going to want to stay there because he is enjoying the success. And on the other hand, I hear people say, well, if he, you know, gets another championship in Golden State, He's going to feel like he's accomplished all that he has, kind of like LeBron in Miami, and maybe he wants to come back home. So I, I see both sides to it, and, and you know, on the other end as well. If, if they're struggling, he, he wants to prove himself, or if they're struggling, he's going to get out of town. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know what to think about it. I don't hold out hope for it. I do think that he's going to stay in Golden State. Um, I guess if I keep that mindset, I'm only going to be pleasantly surprised in the end if he does come home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I don't think that much of this is news. I think it's, um, you know, the Charlotte Observer is really pumped that they got a story with Steph Curry, you know, and an exclusive interview. But I don't, I don't really think it's new. I mean, what else is the guy supposed to say? Um, I, I don't see any scenario in which Golden State doesn't get to the finals and and be a the super team everyone said you know they were always going to be. Of course, they. We all know they struggled a little bit out of the gates this season, but uh, but they are on fire right now and rolling with one of the best de- or the best defensive rating and offensive rating in the entire league here recently. So I think they're coming into form. Oh, just a little just a little nugget here. I, I played against yeah. uh, Curry in middle school. Oh wow, there you go. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So when I so I grew up in Statesville, and I used to so my granddad had Charlotte Hornets tickets way back in the day. So when I was, I mean, good lord, I was. Uh, I don't even know how old I was. I was really, really small. But anyways, they used to, before games, they would let kids. I'm talking an hour, you know, an hour and a half before the game. They would let kids for like 15 minutes come on the court and shoot in the Charlotte Coliseum. So my only claim to fame is that you know he, you know, Steph was out there then, 
of course. That was when Del Curry played for the Hornets. Right. Uh, shooting around. So I shot some hoops with, with Steph at one point in time. So. And I got to guard him. And you got to guard him. Oh, man. Do you remember how that went for you? To be honest with you, like he didn't he didn't stand out by any means. Like He, he was a great player, clearly. Yeah. Um, I mean, he wasn't highly recruited out of high school, so clearly there were some things there that people uh, had some hesitancies on. But yeah, nothing really stood out. I just remember going up against a Curry. That that was just kind of my mindset and my memory of it. Nothing like he like blew us away or by any means. I think I think we won the game. Oh wow. So how do you think it would go for you today? Probably the same. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So we want staff to come home, everyone. I mean don't don't get us wrong here. We just I think we, we don't think that's gonna happen. But if it does, even better. All right. So let's um let's get to some Twitter questions. We didn't have any last week. We did have some this week. And now that I'm telling myself, let's get to some questions. I actually need to pull them up. All right, so the first question, do we think that Cho will be active at the trade deadline this year, which he has been in the past? Richie, I'll let you start. I don't know. I I think that I guess it depends on what our needs are, if there's any injuries that come up. I know that an injury last year with MKG kind of spurred the the Courtney Lee trade. I think, you know, if – there is going to be a trade. It's going to be someone that kind of fits a role. We're not. It's not going to be someone that's going to come in and be a starter by any means. It's going to be along the lines of a veteran that, that fills a role, can play some defense, might be able to stretch the floor a little bit. Um, we had Courtney Lee last year, who was a 3 and D type of guy. Um, Mo Williams, I believe the year before, who filled a role and was able to stretch the floor for us. I don't know who all is is out there or who's going to be available. I guess I guess one area that we can look at is maybe a, a backup point guard, um, but I just don't know if it's going to be worth it in the end in, in terms of what we have to give up. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think the backup point guard is probably the obvious need here. Um, you know, it, it just all depends on what the market is. You know, at that time and what. What teams are looking for, you know, I think typically at the trade deadline, teams are looking for a scoring punch. Um, but, you know, I, I would agree. I, I would say that it's probably a uh, backup point guard. Um, you know, outside of that, I, I kind of, unless the Hornets were to take on some unexpected serious injury, you know, right before or leading up to the trade deadline and still really be, you know, in the middle of the Eastern Conference and in the playoff hunt, you know, I just don't really see a deal uh, out there for the Hornets are, are really a, a, a reason for them to make a big splash. Um, you know, I do think that Cho is always looking for – he's always looking for a bargain, right? Like he's always looking for the player that nobody else eh, – not that nobody else values, but maybe the other teams don't value as much. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen that uh, in the past with some of the free agent signings. You know, the, the Roy Hibberts, the Jeremy Lins. You know, I mean, we've, we, we've seen him you know, wheel and deal his way to really good deals. So maybe he looks for that contract, you know, that that has two or three years left on it and is super reasonable. And that, you know, Cho thinks, okay, I bring this guy here. You know, he fits in the system perfectly, um, you know, much like Bar- Marco Bellinelli has this year. And now all of a sudden I have this, this trade chip going into the offseason. So something like that maybe – um, but but I agree with you. I, I don't I don't see anything that really moves the needle um, exponentially in the end. And so that question was from at Patrick Connor seven. So Patrick, I'm assuming that's your first name. Thank you for that question. Um, okay, so let's let's get to the second question here. 
was from at thick underscore Batum. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would like him to be a little bigger as well. He, he is pretty skinny. So at thick underscore Batum, who slash what should the Hornets be looking for in the draft? All right. Um, I'm not a big college basketball fan. I've told you this before. I don't really watch college basketball until co- conference pay, play picks up and in January, February, when it gets closer to the tournament, that's kind of when I'll turn the college basketball on. Um, So in terms of specific players, I'm not sure if I can give you one. Uh, In terms of what we need, um, I'm sure there's a variety of needs that we could could go after. Um, And it's also going to depend on where we pick. You know, knowing how we're going so far this season, it's going to be in the 20s, I would assume. So it may not be a player that comes in right away. And starts by any means. Uh, you, know, you saw what happened last year with our 22nd pick. We, we traded away. Uh, so I guess team needs. I, I think that we definitely need a, a backup point guard, like we said, with the with the trade deadline. Uh, that's definitely a need for us. I also wish that we could get a player that could create his own offense. I don't feel like we have many of those. Uh, you know, Kimba comes to mind, obviously. But other than that, it seems like a lot of players uh, work better off the ball. I would love to have a player that was just, you know, could create his own shot. And I think a lot of those players in college basketball go in the lottery anyway. So um, as far as specific players, I'm sure that you would maybe be able to name some a little bit more than me. Um, I haven't done too much research, but team needs, I think a backup point guard. I think we're a little thin at at small forward. Uh, but other than that, I kind of let you let you take over this if you have any thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, act, you know, individual prospects you know specific guys you know it's it's too early to just tell where everybody's going to fall and like you said it's too early obviously to tell where the hornets are going to pick you know i think what they should be working looking for you know i think they need to be looking for a big um you know i you know we signed zeller to the extension you know i mean i think he's the guy moving forward but you know behind him you know, Spencer Hawes is not part of the future, and Roy Hibbert is not a part of the long-term future. So, you know, you're going to need something behind Zeller. And, you, you know, it's, it's been a while since the Hornets, you know, have had a guy you can throw it. Well, it's been a while since the Hornets have had a big who's really been versatile enough to block shots, run the floor, you know, screen, catch it around the block and be able to score it, which Zeller really is, that's not his specialty. So, you know, you've seen the Hornets offensively turn into this, you know, make the ball move, everything's played off screens, um, you know, and you pull your bigs away from the basket and execute that way. So, you know, I think the Hornets do need an option off the bench, um, you know, especially in this, in whoever this kid is, his early years that you can throw it into and play, you know, out of him you know similar to an out jefferson but you know a guy you know, who can also be a defensive impact um you know i think the last guy and i could be way off on this maybe there's been one since then. i mean mecca okafor i knew you were going there yeah i mean he kind of comes to mind i mean there's a guy who was a great defender could protect the rim you know could move he could run he could set that screens he could roll um and he had some ability catching and finishing around the basket at least you could throw it into him kind of let him go to work and he could throw it back out, you know, may shrink the defense. So, you know, I think the Hornets need to look for a guy like that just because they haven't had that guy that, like that, that can impact both ends of the floor in, in a while. Um, all right. So at thick underscore platoon, thank you for your question. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, and then finally, our last question here, the night is from uh, Marcus Judd, Twitter handle at L N I X A N. So I was just going to spell that and not try to pronounce <laughs> whatever it is. 
if Kemba were to get injured, what level of play would you expect from the Hornets? If it was for the season, do they tank? Wow, this is a, a downer of a question here. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess the answer to that, I don't really want to think about it, but yes, I think he would. you would tank. I don't know if it would be on purpose, but I think it would just kind of naturally happen. Uh, Kemba going down would clearly cause some issues on our offense. I think that our, the spacing would definitely be closed up a little bit with, with Sessions running the point. I'm sure we might be forced to make a move, but if Kemba goes down, we might might as well just kind of you know tank to begin with. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be a clear drop off from from Kemba to Sessions, uh, and then Sessions uh, back up with Brian Roberts. So the point guard position uh, clearly is going to go down. Kemba's having his best year of his career. His shooting has been great, and without him, the spacing on offense is just going to be very limited. Yeah, I mean, I think if I think it's well said. Um, I think it depends. Like if Kemba gets hurt tomorrow, I mean, knock on wood, good lord. Um, but if that happened. You know, I, I think that I, I don't know. I, I just like, what do you? I, I guess how do you define tank? Do, do you define it as like lottery or bust, or or do you just say you know we're not you know Hornets don't make a move to really replace him. They just let Sessions, you know Roberts, and you know maybe sign some veteran point guard. You know, just run the ship and see what happens. I I, I personally don't think it's in. Like I I think the Hornets are they're past that. Yeah, well, yeah, they're past it, but I just think, like, their philosophy is so against tanking. Like, I think they're one of the <laughs> – they're one of the least likely teams as long as Rich Cho is the general manager and Steve Clifford is the head coach. They're one of the least likely teams to tank in the entire league to me. Like, they tried it, and I don't know that – I mean, yeah, it didn't work, but guess what? Like, tanking doesn't work for, like, seven – or eight out of every 10 teams that tries to do it. So like the odds are already against you. So like, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't call it tanking. Like if Kemba got hurt, then like, yeah, you probably replace, you know, you probably throw Ramon sessions in there. Um, I think the question you're asking Marcus is do the Hornets make a trade to get a point guard to try to still chase the five or six seed. Right. Uh, is that, is is that worth it really in the end? Right. I mean, I think that more fits. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. I mean, is it less worth it for the Hornets to, you know, go to the lottery as the with the twelfth best odds, you know, to, you know, and, and get some pick that's not that much different than the twentieth. You know what I mean? Um, when they could try to make the playoffs, like I think, but for your fan base, I think for. The marketing efforts, I think, for your season ticket sales, I think for your brand in general, you always want to try to win games. Like I, I just this tanking phenomenon, I never got it in the first place, and and I still don't. Like yeah, some teams get lucky. Like Oklahoma City was awful, and they drafted two of the most you know groundbreaking players of of, of this you know of basketball ever. Like that's luck, um, you know. But it doesn't work for most teams, and it didn't work for Charlotte, and they tried it for. You know, three seasons, and it was, it was some of the most brutal basketball ever anybody's ever had to watch in the NBA, and and it hurt the fan base, and they're still picking up the pieces from that. So, like, I just don't, I just don't get it, and I don't know if it would be to answer your question, Richie. Like, I don't know if it'd be worth it 
or not for the Hornets to trade for a point guard and give up some asset, whatever that asset is, to chase the five or six seed. But what I can tell you is this is not a culture or a, a philosophically driven franchise that is going to quote-unquote tank. I just I just don't see them taking that route. So to answer your question, Marcus, you know, no, I don't, I don't think the Hornets are going to tank, but I also don't know that that word exists in their dictionary. So it's kind of a, a tough question to uh, – to answer, but thank you everyone uh, for for presenting some questions for us tonight, and I think we've covered a lot. Richie, have we um, unpacked that bag that we we were staring at and wondering how we were going to get everything out of it at the beginning of the podcast? I think we did. There, there's a lot to cover. There was a lot to cover. Uh, a lot of good here in the past week for the Hornets. Some bad, but a big opportunity around the corner for them. Um, so let's wrap this thing up, Richie. Tell our listeners how they can find us online, where they can take us to go, listen in the car, listen at home on the laptop, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we just wanted to you know, thank everyone for their support so far. Definitely check us out. Our podcast, you can either get it at uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search either uh, by searching QCH Podcast. And then if you just go to our website as well, we have a tab that will bring up all that stuff. Perfect, perfect. Yes, our website, uh, queencityhoops.com. Uh, you, so you can find, like Richie said, all of our podcasts there as well. But make sure you're searching us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Okay, so thanks again to all our listeners. Please make sure that you let us know what you think about the show, hitting up, hitting us up on Twitter. Uh, speaking of, make sure you're following Queen City Hoops on Twitter, at QCH blog. Make sure you're following Richie, at Richie Randall. That's R-I-C-H-I-E-R-A-N-D-A-L-L. And make sure you're following me, of course, Spencer Percy, at QCH Spencer. Richie, I think that's it for this episode. So until next time, Hornets fans, go Hornets, and thanks everybody for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.